Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. This leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. So let's fill that well. Okay, today's well source is Ryan Dawson. Ryan is a counselor, therapist, mentor, life coach, and educator in Boulder, Colorado. He is passionate about helping people discover their true selves and create deeper relationships. For the last 20 years, Ryan has worked extensively with adolescents and families as a youth advocate, school counselor, and family therapist, with a focus on empowering his clients through clear reflection and powerful tools to facilitate change. He also worked as a camp counselor, fitness trainer, swim instructor, and basketball coach. In addition to being a sought-after therapist, Ryan is a teacher. He has taught psychology at the undergraduate level and graduate levels at Naropa University, He speaks at high schools, treatment programs, and community organizations about psychosocial development, parenting strategies, and the impact of technology on the developing brain. Ryan is currently inspired to walk the talk at home, where he lives with his supportive wife, Jill, and two young children, Ben and Avery. So welcome, Ryan. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Shelley. It's great to be here. So you have been a counselor with youth and families for a lot of years, um, and I have followed Mm -hmm. your work with some of the things you've done with the Parent Engagement Network for some time. So Mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you see when when young people come into your office? Yeah, I mean, I think the the challenges that I work with in some ways are kind of timeless, you know, same as they ever were. You know, kids are wanting to feel successful and they're trying to find friends and trying to figure out what that recipe looks like for each individual is, is, uh, that's, that's a challenge. That's what takes time to kind of, to dig into and to, you know, find ways to have them open up about what's really going on. You kind of simplified it when you said that they're really just trying to make friends, trying to grow up, trying to deal with what's going on in the world around them. And maybe we, mm-hmm overcomplicate it sometimes that young people are dealing with what young people deal with. Exactly. And I, but I do think there's been like some massive changes in like the last 15 years. Yeah. I would say, especially since like, you know, 2012, where there was like a tipping point of smartphones being in the hands of most young people that there's been a, I think a massive change generationally that um, as adults, you know, I'm still wrapping my head around and I spend hours talking to young people every day but it really does distill down to, you know, trying to find friends and trying to feel successful. It's just now you have this like influence in your pocket 24 seven, you know, with the scoreboard on it, telling you how you're doing in those endeavors, you know, and mm-hmm. not all the data is great. And so the work that I find myself doing is really helping young people have the courage to be themselves, even if it doesn't show on some of the scoreboards that they're tracking and, and finding new ways to, to track their progress as it comes to their lives. Hmm. It's such a distinct and short period of time in their life. It's such an important period of time in development Mm -hmm. and the things that they experience. And what you're saying about a scoreboard, I think that what happens in the day-to-day life of a young person feels like it's the whole world. And sometimes it's gaining that perspective that this is just a moment in time. Yeah. You know, there was a movie 
with uh, Zach Efron years ago where it's like seven, something with the title 17 in it. But there was a line to that effect where it's like, you know, when you're going through something, when you're young, it's the first time that it's ever happened and it's massive. You know, you don't ever know that there's going to be another one of these, whether it's a breakup, which are particularly hard for young people because of how emotionally intense those things are, or getting a bad grade, not making a a team or getting left out of a, a friend group. It's like these things are just massive events that are unprecedented, especially for adolescents. Finding their peer group is such a, a huge part of the developmental stage. It's, it's a literally a survival level event. And so if these things kind of go a little haywire, the team can really suffer. Right. I, I remember learning kind of early on in my own education that, that sometimes it's just having that one best friend, if not the whole peer group. Yeah, there was a, a switch. I'm going back to another pop culture reference here, but yes. a show called Freaks and Geeks, you know, which, yeah. you know, the that's what that was about. It just you if you could kind of endure anything as long as you had that like peer group. And, you know, what we're really talking about and there's some good research on this, you know, by Rob, Robin Dunbar is like we're talking about like four close friends, you know, yeah. and that's if we look at Facebook interactions, like 80 percent of them are amongst four people. That's our, our little pod that we we, we got to get right. And as like parents, that's what I help them to focus on is like, who's in that pod? Because those are the big influencers, too, in your kid's life. Yeah, that whole phrase, the five people you spend time with are the people that you're mm-hmm. going to learn from. It it's, uh, seems to ring true here, too. Peer relationship wise, what do you think a parent needs to know about who their kids are hanging out with? Because I know that sometimes you don't have a whole lot of control over that. You do yeah. to some extent, but but yeah. I think especially as kids get older and they're driving and they're going out on their own and you don't know totally. who they're spending time with or even if they drove 15, 20, 30 minutes to get there. How do you yeah. manage that as a parent? And it's, a, I think, a more complicated question than ever. Pre-smartphones, we weren't able to track our kids like we can track them now. And I've worked with a lot of parents that are like pulling their hair out, having all this data and like, well, can I use it? Well, are you telling your kid that you're you're tracking how fast they drive and where they go? Because if you haven't, then you're baiting the privacy and you're going to breach the trust and that's going to be a whole thing. So you have all these abilities to, to resource and get data, which can be really helpful and help hold kids accountable. But it's also like this, the art of kind of letting go and trusting your kids going to find their way and that the values that you've instilled with them for the first 12 years before the hormones kick in and before the desire to start to practice leaving the family system kicks in, um, that those are going to hold true, especially if you get good at like soothing your kid and being a soft landing spot. I, I saw a talk, you know, years ago with Michael Bradley and he put it well that it's like, you know, it's not about controlling your kids anymore. That's, that's the old paradigm where you could like just take something away and they couldn't replace it. But it's about teaching kids how to control themselves. And the way we do that is through relationship now and accepting that if your kid comes up to you and says, Hey, I want to go to the mall. And they're not really asking you for permission. They're telling you, I'm ready to go to the mall. You know? And so as a, as a parent, it's not like, okay, do I let them go to the mall? It's like, okay, how do I help them think about the risks of going to the mall? Like, can I get some data here about who they're going with and what they can expect? Help them think through things with an adult brain to kind of prime the pump for a different situation. And so the more I, I think people try to exert control over peer groups, more exciting those peers become because now all of a sudden they're taboo. And like one of the things that we know about teenagers is they love to go the opposite way you know, of what they're... Yeah. For for the defiant teenagers, some some are staying in the pocket. But as soon as you make those peers taboo, all of a sudden they have way more energy, way more they're way more interesting, way more charismatic. So 
lot of it is tolerating and, and communicating and, and expressing like, hmm, that's an interesting choice Johnny's making with that. I'm, you know, I'm sorry he's putting that garbage into his, his brain. You know, that can have some really horrible effects. You know, if you get those kind of conversations rolling, and but if you do it in a non-judgmental way, it allows the kids to kind of look at it with some curiosity and it also creates safety for them to come to you if something's going on. But going back, kind of rewinding back to that original peer group thing, it's like, yeah, I, I'd also want to like have them over as much as possible in a sense, as much as you can tolerate. See if you can talk to their parents, get a sense, because they're also influencers on your kids and the households right. they're in and what the values are. So it's, you're helping to translate those experiences to the kids um, in a sense, so they can understand it, what the risks are, what the, the rewards are, what's the payoff, what's exciting about some of these different opportunities. You know? Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about what you're sharing is I look at it and I think here is a situation where parents have to be pretty sophisticated, honestly, in yeah. having yeah. some real knowledge and skills on how do I be in relationship with my kids? What kind of, what kind of questions can I even ask that would get a good answer or wouldn't mm-hmm. turn them off or, or make them want to do the rebelling side of things? And then coupled with that is we were parented the way we were parented. And so I think there can be a tendency, at least that's what I've seen. There can be a tendency to want to have that generational passage of, well, my parents just said, you can't do that. Or they just took that away from me, or I was grounded from that. And so in some ways we're living through a time when parents can't have that excuse. And that's what they've kind of been prepared to deal with. Do you think that that's something that you've seen? Yeah. You know, and, and in working with parents, especially there's really helping them to take a step back and get into their frontal lobe and out of their emotional high brain or their instincts of parenting. Cause we tend to, like you're saying, parent the way we were parent. It's like in our cells, when we step outside of a certain boundary, we were corrected in a certain way by our parents. And that is just something that we, we learn kind of implicitly. And I found in my own interactions with my kids, I'm constantly having to check those instincts because I had a pretty patriarchal father. And um, it's certainly not the way I show up with my clients, but I'll be darned if I'm not like playing that role with my kids kind of unconsciously and I lay there in bed and I go what the heck am I saying or doing like who is this man that is showing up it's the man I I didn't that I resented as a kid right you know and so yeah like kind of checking that being able to take a step back and you know when I used to teach swimming I, I we specialized in working with kids that had like a real fear of the water you know so we had these small classes and these cute little kids and like their swim caps and get them in the water and like one of the biggest obstacles, though, it wasn't so much work with the kids, because as soon as you, you, know, you kind of relate to the kid, you're eye to eye in the water with them, and, and there, there's this trust that builds pretty quickly, and you're both in the soup together, but it's the parent that's freaking out on the, the side of the pool. It's like, okay, mom, or, or okay, dad, like, you know, we're going to really need you to kind of hold this together, because we're, we're not throwing them in front of a bus. We're just trying to get him to put his head in the water. And if they couldn't pull together, we'd have to ask them to leave and go in the, in, into the house because it was, it was a private pool. Um, and so, and then the progress would come. But if the parents are freaking out having their own reaction and stressing the kid out about the whole thing, and then you're in a whole different kind of situation, really being able to see the situation clearly. And so I, I know I've yeah. meandered off topic here. Oh, but, no, you that's, know, that's perfect. As you're talking, I'm thinking when I was doing my schooling at UW-Madison, I had the privilege of working under B. Bradford Brown, who's the person who wrote the original peer pressure survey inventory that people give people today Mm -hmm. still, I think. One of the things he said was, if you have a child that's choosing friends that you don't love, that they're spending time with, you're not going to solve that by 
picking them up and putting them in a different school or moving to another town that that child is probably still going to gravitate toward yeah. whatever kind of child that kid likes hanging out with. So yeah. I thought of that while you were talking, because I think there's the one side of parenting and, and understanding who they're spending time with, which is paying attention and having them over and like having conversations and trying to have an influence on the kind of person they spend time with and what they think through and in, in the decisions they're making. But then there's the other side mm-hmm. of that there's going to be kids in their lives that maybe you don't want them spending a ton of time with. What kind of advice or things would you share can be helpful in a situation like that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think those observations that your professor had are spot on. I recall working in a, when I was in St. Fran Valley School District, the school for kids that were kind of you know bombing out of their homeschool, the teenage, the teenagers, and they would go to this school with a bunch of other kids kind of in the same boat and, and some counselors and more kind of supervision. But those dynamics were just kind of, in a sense that you put them in a different school, but that that same kind of dynamic would reemerge in the new school and the new environment with all of the supervision. So there's a lot of times the kids are kind of working something out and to create a lot of latitude for like, what is the learning that's going on here? What is the draw in some of these kids? And like, you know, I can speak from my own experience. Like I was drawn to, you know, kids that were pretty like a little more hyper. Cause I was so like pulled in that like, wow, that's a spontaneous act. And it drove my dad crazy because like here, my best friend was like, you know, just running off the rails, but I was like, wow, what, that's how that looks like. You can just do that. You know, you can just spend $20 without thinking, or you can just like, you know, <laughs> run across the street. Like, I don't know. It was yeah. just like, Stuff that would just constantly bring so much life force into the dynamic because I was I was so cautious. And so, you know, I think as a parent, it's like, what what is the draw here for your kid? Just like that sense of curiosity and trying to withhold judgment. Cause, you know, I've yet to meet really any kid that doesn't have something really interesting going for them. You know, and maybe has yeah. some bad habits or feels a lot of pain, or it's like doing what they can to survive and to make friends and to like try to find their way, but to get to know the kid in that way. And I actually, I'm really quite grateful for my mom because she was really able to see like the gold in every kid that I brought home. And, you know, and so that's yeah. an important challenge and it, yeah, and it helped me to look, I think for the gold. So I think that kind of thing as a parent, you can be quite influ- influential on. That's the word, right? Is that the, the other child can be a good influence on the other one if totally. that makes sense, yeah. or the parent can be. So peer influence and that whole process, it's bi-directional, it goes both ways. So mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. like, I like that as a way to reframe that and say, what is the gold in this child? And how can I pull this kid in closer and find out what is it that he needs or how can I support him or her in, in their yeah. growth? Yeah. I growth. think that's especially true when there's a bond and I'm kind of, you know, as I think about this question, there's what I think is almost harder for young people is like when the kid, when the friend is pulling away, maybe the peer groups change or they're mistreating the, the friend, taking them for granted or they're using them to, to gain status with another group. And that, I think it's a very disorienting, confusing thing for a kid, for somebody that we were great friends in middle school. Now we're in high school and, you know, she's treating me like crap and I, I don't right. get it. You know, what's happening or she's really nice to me one-on-one, but when, as soon as we're around a group of other girls or guys, like she just starts like, you know, really kind of giving me the business, yeah. that kind of stuff, I think is almost more confusing and almost more of like, well, maybe this isn't a great time to be interacting with this person that makes you feel bad. Like, how do you feel when you're around her? It's like, you ask those kind of questions, you know, what, what are you still getting from the friendship? Because a lot of times kids are afraid to leave the, the known. We'd rather like dance with the devil we know than like possibly not having friends. And so like, you know, supporting kids with the rebuilding process can be quite a challenge, but oftentimes that's what's needed. What I call like a, a friend group breaks bad. 
you know, and maybe a kid starts getting bullied or they're like low, low in the pecking order and they don't feel good about it or they're getting left out of the, the threads or they don't know what's going on. Or it's like, okay, maybe it's time to actually pivot here. They're not honoring you and they're not reflecting your, your stuff. That's, I think is actually more toxic to, to a kid's psyche than maybe the kid that, that has some bad behaviors, but also like really values the friendship. This is a huge process. It's not a, it's not something that happens, you know, one day, one week, one year for a child. It's a process of helping them understand who they are and asking good questions about who they're spending time with. I mean, shoot, I feel like as an adult, I do that sometimes, you know, like, is this person somebody that I'm yeah. really getting what I need out of this relationship anymore? And I think mm-hmm, it's a lifelong mm-hmm. thing that we do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that like, I wish I was told as a kid of like, you can be you. This is about you finding you. This isn't about you necessarily making friends or pleasing authority. It's about figuring out who you are through these different relationships, through these contexts. And like, it's going to look a little different than other people. You know, I I was very much wanting to conform as a kid, you know, and and not super great at it, to be honest, you know, so it was, uh, you know, to kids have the courage to come from an inside out approach, uh, uh, autotelic, where it's like, you're, you're listening to yourself and your inner voice rather than like what the social media scoreboard says, or what, what you think you ought to be doing or what adult figures think they sh- you should be doing. It's like, what do you, what do you actually want to do? Like, what are the outside extracurriculars that interest you? You know, what are the yeah. clubs? I mean, that's one of the great things about this area is there's just so many like different possibilities to get into. Um, a lot of those are kind of untapped because we don't help kids pursue that or give them permission to do that. They're really trying to, you know, crush in the traditional ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was the oh, well. kid that I, I was in this peer group and then the next year I was in this peer group and dyed my hair purple or I would be in sports and then I do other things, but I could do all of that experimentation. And I think that our kids today, they do that experimentation and there's, it's documented, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's on their yeah. social media accounts. And if it's not on theirs, it's on their friends. Mm-hmm. So that poses some problems and some opportunities, I guess, yeah. but it's a natural process to go through this experimentation at whatever level you do by your personality. It's a natural process to do some things and to try on different hats and figure out who you are. And and some of our kids are trapped in that. Now their life is visible to everybody forever. Yeah. Yeah. They're like these mini celebrities, you know, that used to be on Us Magazine where the paparazzi would follow them, but now the paparazzi are their friends, you know, and they're taking awkward photos of themselves. And there was this thing that just came out, the youth risk behavior survey, and it's, it's done by the CDC. And it's kind of like the gold standard of like what's going on in kids. And it, it looks kind of like the girls are cracking under a lot of the pressure, like the mental health and girls does not look good right now. And I just think about the pressure they're on to always be on, you know, there's something different about girl peer culture than boy peer culture. It seems like the boys just aren't keeping up. As well, the girls are doing fine in terms of secondary education, getting advanced degrees, all that kind of stuff. They're really outpacing the boys, but their their mental health is really deteriorating. And it's just, I think a lot of it is that kind of pressure to be on all the time and the anxiety and they don't want to miss a thing because it could feel catastrophic to their standing in their peer group. Right. You see on Facebook that somebody had a party that you weren't invited to or. Yeah. <clears throat> Probably not Facebook, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Probably I guess we're past Instagram, Facebook. More like Snapchat, Instagram. Yeah, TikTok. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook is for us old people now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that that's a real issue is, is that feeling of being left out and also that everything is filtered. Right. So mm-hmm. it's never just how you look or, you know, yeah. pictures you can even put you're in, you're in Paris standing in front of the Eiffel tower when you're not, you know, so it's a, it's a whole yeah. different world. And what does that really mean for our kids? And 
yeah and, and the, the deep fakes are coming like with the ai and that you know it's like in the ability to like take this podcast take our voices and the images and they can create a whole video of us saying things we never said you know so it's like we're, as humans we're not quite ready for what's coming down the pike here we're going to be on social media and we're going to not going to know if it's true or not and so it's it's a very confusing world to live through the the media thing in your pocket, you know, and I think that's where it gets really stressful for people, you know, and to be able to like get back into like the four dimensional world where to, to slow down. I think that's one of the big things that I've been in my practice lately is just helping kids unplug a little bit, to slow down. Like we traded like meaning for stimulation. And I think that's part of it too. It's like with all the stimulation, then we get the pain, you know, when we get that dopamine, the, the brain balances with pain and craving and then anxiety and, and meaninglessness. That's the pain that we get for having that, that hit of dopamine that we get when we're, when we're scrolling and, and doing that kind of thing. So like getting kids to, to unplug a little bit, unplug a little earlier in the night, you know, and getting them to, to not take it all so seriously, but to use it as a tool that can really help them manifest incredible things. And that's the other end of it. Yeah, It's like, yeah, the, that's the gold in it. It's like, they can yeah, do the incredible coaching, things. Yeah. The coaching again on, you're not going to stop kids from using TikTok, but you can right. talk to them about how to use TikTok in a good way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you, and it's also good to inform yourself about TikTok and like, you know, how much control the Chinese have on it and that they're pumping a different algorithm to the West than they are. You know, it's like the number one thing kids want to be now is an influencer in the West, quite intentionally pumping videos of pranks and of dancing girls and things of kind of just tomfoolery to, mm -hmm. to the kids. And, and in their country, they're pumping them full of like science experiments and social welfare projects and doing amazing accomplishments. And the kids in China, like the number one thing is to be an astronaut. So there, there's definitely some impacts coming that it's good to be aware of. And there's a manipulation happening with the algorithms. And so parents informing themselves about what does that look like? What's going on? You know, like you listen to some of like Tristan Harris's work, who does a lot of discussion around some of what's going on behind the scenes and to talk about how they're being manipulated in certain ways. I do talk to kids very much like that. Nobody really wants to be manipulated. So, um, but YouTube has their algorithm, you know, it's like, you'll go, if you're a girl and you go into look and diet stuff, not long before you'll be hitting anorexia, just recommend itself. If you just go right by the algorithm, cause they just want the, the captive attention and, you know, all this stuff has an impact, you know? Right. <clears throat> so when you're working with, with young people, what, what do you recommend for them? What are like a few specific strategies that you give them when it comes to technology? Uh, oh, when it comes to tech? Uh, I, I touched on it br briefly earlier, but like doing your best to get the phone out of the room or to like limit when you're going to be on it, because, you know, it's like after a certain time, it's just, there's not much going on, but the kids still have that FOMO. They don't want to miss out. And so in talking to kids, like, okay, when, when's actually a good time for you to make sure you get sleep, you get rest, you can kind of tune out and just be with yourself a little bit and not worry about all this this nonsense that's going on at 1130 at night. That's a huge one. And like using it more as a tool and not looking just to, to get a hit or to, to try to find happiness or meaning through it or stimulation, but it's like fine in a small dose, as long as you know what you're getting into, as long as you're also like balancing that and not like taking it all too seriously, knowing that you're getting fed a certain perspective and not, you can't believe everything you see anymore as well. So, um, but it, it's kind of like, once again, as a parent or as a 
counselor in my my case right now, engaging with curiosity with like, what are they seeing? What how important is it? They use it as a tool or they're using it to to kind of graze. How do how do they use it? You know? So yeah. and, and that piece you said a little bit earlier, we touched on at least is as parents, we have to be pretty aware of our own actions and our own interactions with social media and the way that we mm-hmm. let it interfere with our relationships. Yes. Yeah. Are we present? You know, are we present with our kids? Are we creating those, you know, even those like five minute pockets a day of uninterrupted attention? Are they walking up to us and seeing us on our phone or seeing us preoccupied with, you know, it might be emails or work. They're just seeing us interact through their phone and they're feeling left out. You know, I teach this stuff for a living. My wife still has to catch me like, hey, Ryan, Avery's right there. She was like, want to talk to you. It's like, oh, what? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, like checking my sports scores or whatever I'm doing on my phone. And I'm missing that opportunity. So I am grateful to have that partner that's able to kind of like call me out on that stuff because yeah. I'm pretty like tech interested. I think that's why I talk about it so much, but to like have some boundaries with it. Uh, there's a good book called Indistractable by I think Nir Ayal's name, but like he, uh, he talks about just how to draw boundaries around this stuff, which is really important and like not to fool yourself with, you know, some of the, the multitasking and having, you know, I talked a lot of this more boys, but like, they'll have like three screens going. They'll have like one with like a YouTube they're watching one with whatever chat they're having. And then another one with their homework. You know, it's like, and it's like, you, your eyes can't pay attention to three things at once. It just, so it's, right. it's like helping, helping them to like kind of pare down a little bit and be more single, single pointed. Cause that, that ability to, to pay attention is, is a real skill now. Um, yeah, hundred so. yeah. percent. Well, it's interesting to talk about how the world has changed and how in some ways it's just stayed the same. We still develop the same way. Our bodies are still built in most ways the same way. I mean, things change in terms of timing sometimes, but you know, a lot of things stay the same and the world is changing faster than it ever has. And it's going to continue yeah. to change faster. So it's, it's an interesting time. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, what do you wish someone would have told you when you were a teenager? What do you wish you had known that you know now? Yeah. Well, I think for me, like I, I was lucky that in college, I found a mentor that kind of told me what I needed to know, what I was kind of missing. And you know, like I said, I was more of a conformist. I wanted to please, like I wanted to be the all-American boy, you know, in that way. Um, and I, like I said, I wasn't that very good at it. So it's like, it's a, there's a lot of competition in that lane. And so for me, it was having somebody outside of my family system, really, that reflected qualities in me that I, I kind of knew about, but I didn't know they were valuable. And it was like, you know, ability to connect with people, ability to relate with people. And especially for a young boy or a young man, that's like, that's not as like valued or in, in boy culture. It's like, how good are you with things or how good are you at like sports accomplishments was my big thing. But like, you know, my ability to like empathize and connect with people like that was a low value activity. But to have somebody that was in the world go, actually, there's that's actually really highly valuable. I don't think you you understand that. And so it allowed me to see myself in a whole new light of like, oh, wow, I'm actually a guy that's a people person. Because a lot of guys are thing people and a lot of females in general, and this is broad brushstrokes, but like, you know, we see them more as like people, people see more like the teaching, you know, the healthcare field, stuff like that, pretty female dominated. I went to school with probably like 85% females as a counselor. Um, but that it, it's been very helpful for me to like embrace that part of me and vice versa. If there's a girl that's more drawn to things that that's awesome too, you know? 
and to like be able to embrace what that individuality looks like and to to give more opportunities for it. Like if I had embraced this earlier, I might've like maybe done more theater and sports and probably would have had a better time because I got some of my sports experiences weren't the best in boy culture because it, it wasn't a great match for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I probably would have given that more of a go, but uh, you know, I think I had to work some stuff out too. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah you yeah. found your path you're, you're, yeah you're doing but it like, now yeah and so yeah. and it, it's been my mission to like whether it's been through coaching or counseling or teaching to like really let people embrace their individuality you know and try to find you know relate to them person to person human to human where you coming from it matters what are you bringing to this and helping them to identify that where they can be successful and how they can mm-hmm. form friends through these through some of their their core competencies yeah. um yeah, I, I could have used it a little earlier, but I'm glad I got it when I did, you know. Yeah, it's one of the qualities they say is important to resilience is people pointing out in you the strengths that you yes. have and, and yeah. letting that internalize. Yeah, and I do think there's something about it too coming from outside the family. Like if you can find that one teacher, coach, counselor that really sees your kid in a way that like, okay, like this person gets my kid um, yeah. and they can reflect some of that. And that can be just a total game changer for for a young person. It's like a secret weapon. And they don't have to be so influenced by their peers and like, or trying to get on, chase these social media scoreboards because they got something else that they're growing that is going to have, that, that has value and they just need to cultivate it. That's a valuable lesson in and of itself. I think I still try to find a mentor in areas of my life, especially the areas of my life where I'm struggling or I don't know how to do something or mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that yeah. someone else is going to, I want to, I want someone to teach me what they learned without having to make all the same mistakes, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just that yeah. ability to find and reach out and be in community with other people is, is a valuable thing. Yeah. And I, I think, I think you having that, that humbleness to, to continue to reach out for mentors is awesome. It's something that like talk about boy culture here, that's not as embraced. It's like, no, I got this. I don't need to talk to anybody about anything. I, I come up against a lot of those kind of teenagers, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're secretly actually terrified and they don't know what's going on, you know, and they need all the help they can get. Um, yeah. And as soon as they start talking, it's like, oh, you know, you can't get them shut up because they yeah. they really are hungry for that that mentorship that somebody to see them outside and they don't have to get it all for as a parent. Like I, I try to demonstrate that humility to my kids like, yeah, I'm, I'm learning here, too. You know, I'm going to make a thousand mistakes as a parent and I'm getting good at apologizing and I'm you're going to teach me as much as I teach you. And we're in this together. You're going to end up in different directions than I anticipated, you know. So it's like yeah. that, you know, finding mentors in the parenting realm is some of my work right now. Like who, who, who does this well? Like, how can I learn from them? And, yeah, yeah, that's wise. I think I, I, uh, I'm on the other side of parenting. Mine are in their twenties, but, um, mm. but I would say they're still teaching me as much as probably more than I've ever taught them. <laughs> so it's part of the process, I think. Yeah. Um, I like to ask this question and we've kind of touched on it throughout, but just to consolidate what you would say, how do you feel people that work with young people, whether it's parents or caregivers, teachers, coaches, how do you think they need to show up for young people? Yeah. You know, I think what served me came from my own pain of like not feeling seen by a lot of uh, adults, you know, I would say, especially in the coaching realm, because I didn't match the macho boy stereotype as a sensitive boy. Um, And so, but I I love sports and, but I often just felt so missed and so misunderstood and to like, 
really what I tried to bring was keep an open mind to what the person and what they brought that was unique and or valuable and to, to really work to mirror that. You know, and it may not be exactly what I needed in the classroom or the the basketball team, but it was something there, you know, and it maybe wasn't going to serve them in this context, but it would serve them over, you know, in a different context. And that to put the development of the individual as kind of paramount in my, in my work with them. And, I, and I'm trying to do it with my kids too, because, you know, like if I'm being honest, there's a part of me that wanted to have like a very athletic boy that, you know, wanted to play baseball and basketball and stuff. And I don't know that I have that. He's, you know, and so yeah. like for me, I'm like, okay, so what, what is he bringing? And I have to like kind of grieve the part of me that like was looking forward to being the kind of dad that did that. Maybe he'll develop into that. I don't know. I'm not, but it's not trending that way. And so for me, it's like, okay, what is he bringing? And like trying to align myself with those interests and to get behind that and put my own preferences aside. And, you know, likewise for my daughter, you know, it's like, what, what is it going to be for her? I don't know. Like, you know, and to allow myself to, to just rally behind where they're at, try to be the, the wind in the sails as much as I can. I like how you said that you would take the time to grieve what you maybe expected or wanted. And I think yeah. sometimes we aren't honest with ourselves about that. And then what we resist persists, you know, and then mm. those yes. ways of interacting with them never really go away instead of just embracing, okay, it's okay for me to say, this was something that I was kind of wanting to do with my son. And maybe I'm not going to do that. I'm going to end up doing and learning other things with him. Totally. Yeah. A good lesson. Yeah. And there's a lot of like unexpressed grief that comes through anger, you know, and mm -hmm. that's where I think I, in my role as a counselor, working with young people, um, I have the advantage of not really having expectations for them and being able to take them where they're at. Uh, I think it's a way harder job as a parent to to do that kind of thing, because of course, you know, when you're, playing with Barbies or as a kid or toys or, you know, envisioning your family. It's like, you have certain ideas what that looks like. And, and so it's like, we often are given a very different kind of kid, you know? And so yeah. how, how do we relate to those kids, you know? And yeah. life works yeah. in funny ways. <laughs> it does. Yeah. When I was a family therapist, one of the, my mentors was like, you know, kids are brought into the family to evolve the parents as much as we are there to, to shape the kids. They're there to, to evolve us as humans. And yeah. When that, when I heard that, it's like, <laughs> that, that's spot on. That is spot on. I would agree. Um, what would you want to leave parents with today? Um, I think that uh, probably a, a little story, you know, it goes back to my best friend in high school. His name was Johnny. And like Johnny's dad wasn't around a whole lot. He was like a traveling salesman, you know, um, Tin Man, I think they called it. And he'd drive around the nation trying to sell sighting. But when he was there, he would always make time for Johnny and they'd go to Denny's and Johnny would get a hot chocolate and his dad would get a coffee and they'd split ice cream and they would talk. And it was like, it was not a huge thing. It was, you know, it was like a half hour, but I just remember like feeling so impressed by that arrangement. Cause I, I didn't have a, that kind of relationship with my dad. It was more of a, are you getting good grades? All right. Good job, son. Kind of thing. You know, but like Johnny just always came back kind of like imbued with like another level of wisdom or some level of connection or the self-value that, you know, his dad took the time just to sit down with him. Um, and it, it wasn't all the time, but like, I, you know, when I hung out with Johnny, you could feel his dad's presence with us. You know, he was a part of the decision-making, even when it was impulsive or in the aftermath of it. It's like, okay, yeah, we got to reckon. But it wasn't in like this, like, Gary way. It was like, okay, actually, I, I, I want to make him proud, you know? And so, mm. and I, I think that parents just slowing down to take that time to, to get into their kid's world in a mutually enjoyable way is like, there's 
And it doesn't have to be grand vacations or skiing adventures because those can backfire, you know, as well as I, <laughs> as often as they go well, you know, but it's usually the smaller moments and like that intentional relating and maybe even some kind of ritual around it. It, it can be just super powerful, you know. Mm, that's great. What a fun memory to have. Yeah. And cool, cool yeah. friend to have in your life. Yeah, he taught me a lot. Do you want to share with people how they can get a hold of you? What the best way to reach you is? Sure. Yeah. Ryan H. Dawson.com is my website. That's probably the best way to get me. Ryan H. Dawson.com. Awesome. Great. Well, I'll include some other contact information and fun resources from our podcast today. I want to take a moment to thank everybody for being here with us today. I want to also thank all of our wonderful sponsors that we've had um, that have supported Ben for many years. Premier Members Credit Union is one of our big ones. Um, And also, if you were just inspired by today's conversation, I would encourage you to hop on our website, which is www.penbv.org. There's places there where you can see the activities and speaking engagements that we have going on. You can become a monthly donor. You can be a sponsor for one of our events or even just make a one-time donation. Um, But as a nonprofit serving youth and families and people who work with young people, we can always use your help. So um, feel free to check us out. And until next time, happy parenting.